If you turn in your Bibles first to the Gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter 2. Most recently, since um, we had a Presbytery weekend, I have gone back and pulled old sermons. And currently, those particular old sermons that I preached during Presbytery Weekend are now focused on the Ten Commandments. We come to the Fourth Commandment today, and of course, there's no controversy at all on the Fourth Commandment. So this should be easy. Well, one would wish. But we start in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. This is the word of our God. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And now if you would turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, the totality of the Ten Commandments, and we'll focus this morning on verses 8 through 11, the Fourth Commandment. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me And keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, 
You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Most of you have uh, heard the common acronym today, acronym with the initials TGIF. Aside from the fact that that actually violates the third commandment, it's wrong in other ways as well. We tend to think, and our Western and Americanized culture, Friday is it. It's the end of the week. We're done. The weekend is for me. It's my turn. It's my turn to have fun. Weekends are made for sports. Saturday, college football. Sunday, pro football. And if those sports aren't going on, well, there's baseball season. I might resemble that a bit. There's basketball. There's just fun things to do. Hey, the Sunday brunch after all. These are questions. What do we do on the weekends? And most specifically, what do we do on what we call today the Lord's Day? As our confession describes it, as we read earlier, what we call the Christian Sabbath. There is no small amount of debate as to what is allowable and what is not allowable on the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, if you're coming here this morning expecting me to answer all your Sabbath questions, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because the truth of the matter is, even for those of us who are somewhat staunch, hardline Sabbatarians, there are those questions that can be gray areas. And we got to be humble enough that sometimes some of these questions that are not just mere hypothetical in the extreme, they're sometimes actually quite practical. They're sometimes very real life. And some of those questions, the answers can be fuzzy. I, I'm not sure. And we ought to be humble enough to recognize that some of those questions are going to be hard to answer. But nevertheless, what I hope to do in looking over the fourth commandment here in Exodus chapter 20, as well as other references that somehow give us some discussion of the Sabbath, to give us some overarching principles and basis for why we are to observe one day in seven as a day of rest and a day of worship. So really what I hope to show out of this text, this is really nothing profound. You might even write it down and think, I didn't need to write that down. That's okay. Well, what I hope to look at this morning is this. The fourth commandment teaches us to remember and sanctify the Lord's day. The fourth commandment teaches us to remember and sanctify the Lord's Day. We're going to look at this under three headings. First of all, what we are to remember. Secondly, how we are to remember. And then finally, why we are to remember. And we'll probably spend the bulk of our time on those second and third points. But first of all, what we are to remember. Look again at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We have a command here. The command here is remember. Now it is fascinating because as this command begins, it is not given in the negative as though it's a prohibition. Now there is a prohibition that comes later within the command, sure. But isn't it fascinating that here the fourth commandment, it starts positively. Remember. Remember. Now, first off, you might think, well, why do we need a command to remember? That's because we're prone to forget. Easily prone to forget. Hey, how, about, how often has this conversation had in your house 
Remember to pick up something at the store. Remember to pick up somebody from school or practice or whatever the case may be, and it's forgotten. That's because we forget. It's easy for us to forget. We need to remember. But there's another reason, because you recognize that what it is we're to remember is the Sabbath day, or more literally, the day of rest, or the day of the Sabbath. We're to remember it because the Sabbath was something that is not new and unique to Sinai. It already existed. And so the commandment is a reminder to remember that which already existed. This really is not a new command in one sense. Remember the Sabbath day. And in fact, as you think about this, it's not new because you see back in chapter 16 when God blessed the people of Israel in the wilderness just before coming to Sinai with manna. They were instructed in how they were to take the manna. No more no less than what you need, with one exception. The, the day before the Sabbath, they were to take twice as much. Why? So that they would already have it on the Sabbath day, because there would be no manna on the Sabbath. And unfortunately, some people found out the hard way. They went out there on Sabbath morning, and nothing was there. Others tried to keep more than they needed, and when they woke up, it was rotten and it had maggots. They did not obey. Remember the Sabbath. It existed already. The pattern of a weekly seven-day cycle demonstrates that it is built into the very fabric of creation. But what is the Sabbath? Well, the word itself means, has, has its root, to cease or to rest. So it could be understood then, remember the day of rest. Remember the day of ceasing. And notice that not only are we to remember it, we are to keep it holy. What does holy mean? Sure, pure. Righteous, that, that's certainly true. But here, holy means, and really it does in general, as it's more foundational understanding, set apart. Set apart from common use to sacred use. Like the articles that were set apart and made holy for temple use. The Sabbath itself is set apart. And it's set apart particularly for worship. Now again, this is not something that is unique to Sinai. It came at creation. Who set apart the Lord's Day? Who set apart the Sabbath? It was God himself. Now we'll touch on that as we move further into the text. But it's important to remember that we need to remember that the Sabbath already existed. There are those who argue that we do not need to keep any kind of a Sabbath today because that was just for the Mosaic economy. That was just for Sinai. It precedes Sinai. And it's biblically evident that that is true. It is a creation ordinance. But we'll get to that in more detail as we continue. We are to remember the day of rest, the day of ceasing the Sabbath, and to keep it holy, to keep it set apart. Well, that sounds easy, doesn't it? Well, what does that look like in the practical every day? This brings us to our second point, how we are to remember. Look now at verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now, it's imperative that all of us recognize that this portion of what we're seeing here, particularly in verse 9, 
is part of the command. Six days you shall do your work. The Sabbath principle includes within it, call it a subcommand if it's going to help you remember, but a command nonetheless. Six days shall you labor. You are to work. You are to labor. Now, of course, when you hear six days you shall labor, does that mean, you know, if I only work at my job nine to five Monday through Friday, that I'm sinning? Well, no. The other sixth day, you can do worldly work in your home. After all, your homes do need upkeep, right? Need to clean things every so often. Need to fix things. Six days you shall labor. We as a culture have lost a sense of a, a good theology of work. Work also is a creation ordinance. You realize that. Some people, some Christians, tend to think, well, work is a result of the fall. No, the hardships on our work is a result of the fall. Work itself is a creation ordinance. When God created man, he created him and placed him in the garden to do what? To work it. And of course, he, at first, didn't have to deal with weeds. Wouldn't that be nice? But work was there. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. God has graciously given you six days for your labors, your work. He could have given you only one day to work and asked for six for rest and worship. But he didn't. Six days to accomplish all that you need to. I know all of you at one point or another in your life, and this includes me as well, probably think I need more than six days. I can't get it all done. And there's a sense in which you're right. You can't get it all done. And despite that, the Lord still sets apart one day in seven for you to consider holy, for you to rest, for you to worship. And here's the beauty. That's actually a privilege. It's more, yes, it's a command, but it's a privilege. You get to stop working one day a week. And contrary to all modern common sense, somehow the Lord still blesses your labors on the other days. Most of you know that I was a math teacher at one time, but this is where biblical math comes into play, doesn't it? It's sort of like tithing, 10% of your income. How are we ever going to budget it out? It does not seem to fit within our budget. We can't do it, and yet somehow, some way, those who contribute their 10% in obedience to the Lord, somehow it all works out. How could that possibly be? except that the Lord our God blesses your work, blesses your endeavors, and so it is. It is that biblical math of the Lord, if you will. He will bless your six days of labor, particularly if you observe the Lord's day, a Sabbath. But it's important to recognize also the seventh day, the Sabbath to the Lord, it is not actually our day. We spoke before about how it's our weekend and what we get to do, my weekend time, to do what I want. It is a Sabbath to Jehovah. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. And this, even with what Christ said, the Sabbath was made for man. 
It's not our day. We have one day in seven, a day of ceasing from ordinary labors. To paraphrase the shorter catechism, what we're required to do, it's a holy resting all that day from all worldly employments and recreations. We'll come to that in just a bit. But we are to rest from our worldly employments and recreations. Our labors, our common labors must cease. First objection, but my boss says I have to work on Sunday. No, you really don't. You really don't. I know that's easy for me to say. And some of you have probably been in that situation. Except for certain occupations and certain deeds, we are ordinarily to rest from our worldly employments and recreations. Now, I said there are exceptions, of course. There are going to be exceptions. But even there are certain occupations that should be ready should the need arise. We think of doctors. Somebody, uh, somebody's appendix bursts on Sunday morning. Sorry, it's the Lord's Day. Of course not. You've got to heal that person, take out that appendix, clean out the infection, etc. Because life matters. It's a work of necessity, a work of mercy. Well, what about plumbers? Well, this is where it gets fuzzy, too. Your pipe bursts. We've got cold weather right now, don't we? How many of you have been dripping your faucets the past couple weeks? Yeah, so your pipes don't burst. But what if they do on a Sunday morning? Sorry, it's the Lord's Day. Of course not. But on the other hand, if you call up a plumber on Sunday morning, hey, can you come down and put in a prettier faucet for me? That's a problem. That's not a work of necessity and mercy. Some people might argue, but it's so ugly I have to change it. No, stop. And I realize some of those questions of what's a work of necessity and what's a work of mercy are difficult to answer. They're not always easy. But overall, we are to remember the Sabbath day by ceasing from our labors. Not just individually, though. It's not just me. Our beasts of burden need to stop working. I look around the room. I don't think there are too many of us with beasts of burden. Maybe some of our beasts are burdens. But the commandment also continues. Our servants, our servants must cease labor. And you might say, well, I have no servant. I have no slaves. Every time, every single time you go to some sort of place of business, you are purchasing their service. When you go out to eat and you sit down at a restaurant, let's say TGI Friday, since we mentioned that earlier, the acronym anyway, you sit down and somebody comes up to you. They bring you your water glass and they say, Hi, I'm Joe. Hi, I'm Jane. I'm here and I am your server. They become your servant at that time. There's no getting around it. They are. You're paying for their service. And so when people argue and say that it's okay to eat out ordinarily on the Lord's Day, because I'm not working, you're causing someone else to work for you. And how sad it is that so many Christians today will lament the empty pews in their church and then do so over a Sunday brunch. You want to know part of the reason why your church pews are empty? It's because those servants, those cooks, those workers, they're at the place of employment getting ready to serve you. Now, are there going to be exceptions here? Of course there are. 
But our first thought should not be, oh, I can't wait to go out to eat Sunday morning after church. Or the pastor's going long. That brunch time might end soon. Come on, speed it up. They become your servant. They are your servant at that time. And they are prevented from enjoying the Sabbath because you're there. Please, please, I beg of you, do not try to use the argument, well, they're going to be open anyway. That's a poor argument. If Christians would heed this command, most places really would close because they wouldn't have any financial stake to stay open. It's the truth. Remember the Sabbath day, even eating out on normal occasions, so to speak, would violate the Sabbath. Again, yes, you can find some exceptions, but ordinarily you should avoid it. Even the stranger or sojourner that enters your gates, thus even your guests, should not have to do any unnecessary work. That's why our confession and catechisms uses the expression worldly employments and recreations. It understands and even it spells it out further that there will be works of necessity and mercy. Helping individuals who are in need. In fact, the Sabbath is intended for those things. We ought to use the Sabbath day as an opportunity to look for those that we know of in need, first within our own midst, maybe also our neighbors, and help them a true need. Certain occupations are in and of themselves necessary and merciful, but not every job of that occupation is always a necessity and mercy. Elective surgery for like a tummy tuck or a facelift, that is not a work of necessity or mercy. I use an extreme example to make the point. It's a day of rest, but it's also a day of worship. And it has to be because it's a day to the Lord. If the Lord himself sanctified one day in seven, and we are made in the image of God, we ought to do the same. It is, as our confession and catechisms rightly describe, uh, as part of our duty, the public and private worship of God. Leviticus chapter 23 gives an entire list of all kinds of festivals and Sabbaths, but it starts with the weekly Sabbath. And you know what Leviticus 23 calls the Sabbath. It is a holy convocation, that it is a holy gathering of God's people. Now, I recognize a lot of uh, scholars, and there's merit to this. I'm not downplaying this at all. Talks about how our New Testament worship is modeled after synagogue worship. And that's where it really comes from you know, during the Babylonian exile and so forth. But even prior, hundreds of years prior to the Babylonian exile, God tells us through Moses that the Sabbath day is a gathering of God's people, a holy gathering. Brothers and sisters, here you sit as a holy gathering of God's people. This is our holy convocation on the Lord's day. It is a day of rest, of worship, not for doing what we just want to do. But I do hope you want to worship. In that case, by all means, do it and do it well. You see, what ends up happening is we end up narrowing down the Sabbath and reduce it to just a list of do's and don'ts. What I can and what I can't do. That's what we ask. We ask it all the time. What can I do and what I can't do? That's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. 
Just simply remind yourself of what you do get to do. Gather with God's people and worship him. We get to fellowship and speak to one another about the good deeds the Lord has done for us. It is to be ultimately a day of delight and how well we plan to go on vacation but give so little forethought to the Sabbath. Think about it. You're going on a special vacation trip. How many weeks in advance are you looking over the things you want to see and do? But when it comes to the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, well, there's this late night movie I want to see. You know, first of all, we live in a technological age. Just hit the record button and go to bed. But no, it's not that big of a deal. I'll catch up Sunday night on sleep. Actually, usually what happens is they catch up on sleep during the worship service. It happens to all of us. I get it. There are incidences where things keep us up the night before that are legitimate, that are outside our control. There is not a person in here, myself included, that has at one time or another sat under preaching on a Sunday morning and had trouble staying awake. Those things happen. I get it. But if we make it our practice, when we have the ability to control something, that's a problem. It used to be that aside from the raunchy nature of the show, just put that aside for a moment, how many people wanted to stay up to watch Saturday Night Live? On the East Coast, it started at 11.30 p.m. Got to stay up and watch it. Do preparation. Call the Sabbath a delight. So little planning goes into forethought of the Lord's day. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 speaks of calling the Sabbath a delight. Calling the Sabbath a delight. And we struggle with this. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, he said this, the reason why many get no more good on a Sabbath by the word preached is because they did not breakfast with God in the morning by reading his word. In other words, they didn't prepare for it. We ought to call the Sabbath a delight. Again, you think about an event the next day. You've got your alarm set. You're ready to go. You get there early so you can get the best seat, the best position, whatever the case may be. Sunday morning rolls around and we hit that snooze button multiple times. And we are rushing out the door forgetting things. We find the easiest outfit to throw on and get out. What's our attitude toward the Lord's Day? Is our attitude, oh, we get to worship the Lord together. That's what it should be. My Redeemer is calling me into his presence with other saints. What a privilege we have to call the Sabbath a delight. Here's how we do it. This is your overarching principle. Isaiah 58, 13, and 14. I would encourage you to memorize it. If you have questions of what you can and can't do on the Sabbath, Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, and the command to call the Sabbath a delight is your grid through which you can judge any question. Does this work enable me and others to call the Sabbath a delight? If you can honestly answer that question, yes, then do it. If that deed prevents you or prevents others from calling the Sabbath a delight, by all means, don't do it. See how simple that is? Again, gray areas. I get it. There are difficult questions. Many years ago, we used to get the Sunday paper delivered at our house so that we would have the coupons. But eventually we came to the conclusion it's the Lord's Day. We don't want that person working. But now here comes the gray area. We'll just get the paper on Monday morning. 
Where did all those stories come from? Especially the current events news stories. They were written on Sunday. Now we're suddenly in this gray area. I'm not saying, oh, I've got to stop getting the paper on Monday. I'm not saying that at all. But these are the things that all of us should be thinking about in one way, shape, or form. How can I call the Sabbath a delight? How can I help others to let their day of rest be a day of rest, a day of worship? That's the grid. That's the test of any action that we do. Do what enables you and others to call the Sabbath a delight and don't do anything that prevents you and others from calling the Sabbath a delight. So that's the fundamental question. Is the Sabbath your delight? That's how we're to remember it. Why are we to remember it? This now is our third point. Why we are to remember the Sabbath. Verse 10, mid-sentence. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or the sojourner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Creation is the fundamental reason. God created the world in six days, and by the way, this is a wonderful proof text to support the idea that creation really did happen in six ordinary days. Further proof. God created all things, as our confessions say, in the space of six days. That's the work of creation. His productivity, if you will. Thus, we are to image God in being productive six days of the week. As image bearers, he created in six days, we create in six days. And on the seventh day, he looked upon all that he had done, he saw that it was all very good, and he rested the seventh day. He rested, he sanctified the seventh day, not from all work, but the work of creation. The work of providence still goes on, does it not? And actually, in some respects, I'm, I marvel more at the work of providence than I do even creation. We are to look at what God has done in creation, but it's not just creation. If you would turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, Some of you may already be thinking, wait, why are we turning to another retelling of the Ten Commandments? There's a reason. And specifically here, the Fourth Commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and in particular, verse 15. Here's the reason given in Deuteronomy 5. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Notice that the reason in Deuteronomy 5 is not creation, but redemption. He redeemed Israel from the bondage that they were in in Egypt. There are few who fail to see in Christendom the connection of Israel's redemption from Egypt as being a type of redemption that we have from sin in Christ. It is, to put the fancy word on it, typological. The real historical exodus is a type of redemption that Christ has purchased for us. This is why the Apostle Paul says of Christ, who is what? Our Passover. Christ, our Passover. That sacrifice which actually redeemed Israel out of Egypt. Christ is our Passover. 
And so it's not just creation why we celebrate the Sabbath. And yes, we should celebrate it. It's because of the redemption we have in Christ Jesus. If Israel was to celebrate her redemption from Egypt, how much more should you and I rejoice at the redemption and serve on the Sabbath day because of the redemption that Christ has purchased for us? We get a privilege of giving praise to God for his sacrifice of his son that you and I might be able to come before him and worship. Israel was set free from the bondage of slavery. We have been set free from the bondage of sin. The Sabbath has a redemptive side to it. And this actually also explains why we've shifted from the seventh to the first. When did Christ finish his atoning work? When he rose again from the dead. And he rose again from the dead on the first day of the week. He rested from his redemptive work. That's why the shift... All that Christ accomplished on the cross and even in the grave finished. He ceased. And now we worship and rest on the first day of the week, which is the Christian Sabbath. That's the basis. Follow the logic. Creation, which itself, by the way, is a type of redemption, you think about the fact that what God did in creating man, very unlike what he did with the rest of creation, everything else was let there be, and it just happened. Not so with man. Let us make man in our image, and the Lord God formed the man and breathed into him the breath of life. That's what happens at redemption. The triune God saves sinners and breathes spiritual life into us. And therefore, we worship him. We worship him. We serve him. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's about redemption as well. And we worship him because of what he's accomplished for us. Now, many will try to argue, and I'll try to touch on this briefly. Many will try to argue that the Sabbath principle is abrogated in the New Covenant. And they will point to passages like Colossians 2.16. You can turn there if you wish. But in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, you have words such as this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Well, there it is. I've just spent all this time wasting my breath. Pack it up. I'm done. Of course not. First of all, it's important to note, and unfortunately the English does not bring this out. In fact, the ESV is worse. The word Sabbath here is actually in the plural. It's plural. And given that it's connected to festivals or new moons, it seems to be all of the other Sabbaths that are connected to those festivals and new moons. The other items we see in Leviticus chapter 23. The fact that it is, I have to be honest, the fact that it is plural in and of itself is not sufficient. Because actually when I read from Mark chapter 2, and it talked about the Sabbath, it, in the Greek it's plural. But given the context here, festivals, new moons, that's the kind of Sabbath. The problem in, Colos in the Colossian church is that they were trying to have a synergistic religion and bring in Jewish ritualism with pagan philosophy, and this is what you need to do. It's plural. It's speaking of those festival days, not the weekly Sabbath. Oh, but what about Hebrews chapter 4? Christ is our Sabbath. 
Therefore, we don't need to. Well, that's not really what Hebrews 4 says. They're partially right. If you want to turn to Hebrews 4, and in particular, I want you to notice a very key expression. Hebrews chapter 4, and in the midst of this argument that the author is making, he says this in verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever entered God's rest also rested from his works, as God did from his. And now notice also verse 11. Let us strive, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Many who argue for the abrogation of the Sabbath will point to Hebrews chapter 4 and say, Christ is our Sabbath. We have our rest in him. That's it. Except the author of Hebrews says two things. First of all, there remains a Sabbath. Why would he say that to Christians who are already in Christ? And then he also says, let us strive to enter that rest. Which means we're not there yet. It's the already and not yet principle on full display. We celebrate the Sabbath still today because we are awaiting for the day when Christ returns and consummates the kingdom. That's why we strive to enter that rest. We've not arrived yet. Yes, we have Christ as our Sabbath rest, but there's also a sense in which we don't. We're waiting for him to return to bring the full consummation of the kingdom. Let me just close by reminding us of some of the effects that this has had on the church. Departure from the Sabbath principle is really a symptomatic problem of worldliness. That's what it is. And I'm telling you as one who used to be a big fan of the NFL, couldn't wait to get home, turn on the TV, and hope my beloved Giants were going to be on. Until I came to the realization as I'm sitting there cheering for my team that I'm actually cheering for Sabbath breakers. Worldliness. But I would also remind you that the Old Testament often gives two causes for the exile. One of them, of course, is idolatry. But do you know what another one is? Sabbath breaking. In Nehemiah chapter 13, what ended up happening is that the people started doing business on the Sabbath. And what did Nehemiah do? First of all, he shut down the whole city. Some folks out in California need to remember this story. But he shut down the whole city. And he warned the people and he reminded them, this is why you went into exile in the first place. Because they violated the Sabbath. You wonder why this world is falling apart. It's because we're ignoring the Sabbath principle of rest and worship. It's not just our idolatry. It's our Sabbath breaking. Why is the church such a mess? It's because even the church is not observing the Sabbath properly. But my friends, I don't want the Sabbath to be a burden to any of us. It is a day of rest, a privileged day of rest, a privileged day of worship, a day of spiritual refreshment and nourishment, a day where we gather specially into the presence of God with fellow saints. John Bunyan said this, Make the Lord's Day the market for thy soul. Make the Lord's Day the market for thy soul. So important he saw that he said it twice. We need to make the Sabbath again the market day for the soul. He wasn't the only Puritan who expressed it that way.
The Lord's day is a blessing. It is not a hindrance. It's not a burden. It is a day where we get to put things aside. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, it really is true. You may be overloaded with work and whatever you're doing. Take the day of rest and see how much better you are at getting your normal work done. I know the math doesn't add up. But it's still God's blessing. He's created us to enjoy a day of rest and worship together with him. That's what we need to do. And thus, you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to remember and sanctify the Lord's day as holy, as a privilege, as a blessing, and delight in it all the days of our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and God in heaven, we do give you praise and thanks for your word, and we also give you praise and thanks for the Sabbath day. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which ushers in the first day as the Christian Sabbath. Father, we pray that more and more your spirit would work in our hearts, that we would call the Sabbath a delight, that we would recognize the joyous privilege we have of putting aside our worldly employments and recreations and giving ourselves to the worship of you. Lord, help us to also be willing to do works of necessity and mercy so that others might be able to call the Sabbath a delight. And may we have greater conviction to avoid deeds and actions and works that prevent others from calling the Sabbath a delight. Lord, we do give you praise and thanks that Christ Jesus has set us free to worship you and to enjoy fellowship in him together each and every Lord's Day. We pray all this in his name. Amen.